0: Good morning, morning, campers.
1: campers. Today's activities will include, you know, just starting smoking.
0: Lunch today will be pork sausages and beer.
1: And to end the night, we will be, uh, you know, just gazing off into the distance as we remember a homoerotic flashback. Yeah.
0: So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into... OSS Sondiset, Cairo, Nest of Spies.
1: OSS Sondiset, Cairo, Nest of Spies. <laughs> Mariska Hargitay, Sarah.
0: Mariska Hargitay, Sam.
1: I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and Kurt drag wrestler manager.
0: And I'm camp counselor Sarah, a deposed princess, and we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp.
1: We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, this film, <laughs> this film, Sarah, Sarah, you're the one who decided to program OSS Sondiset for us. Uh, can you give us a bit of a peek behind the curtain as to why you chose this film?
0: Yeah, so, um, <laughs> in, <laughs> I, I want to say too, it has been about 10 years since I've seen OSS Sondiset films. Uh, for the first time, uh, around uh, 2011 2012, a little film came out called The Artist, which you might have remembered.
1: Oh, you know, a little thing. It did some numbers. I think it, I think some Oscar buzz was around it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird because people say that it's like the sort of movie that gets named Best Picture and then people immediately forget about it. I kind of disagree with that. I find The Artist a very. Uh, charming pleasant film that doesn't have to be about awful things the kind of movie that people are always saying why doesn't this get made and why doesn't this get wider acclaim anymore um but i saw the artist and i uh fell in love with sean du
1: he is so handsome and so charming in this film despite everything that comes out of his mouth
0: that's the crazy thing is that Jean Dujardin, despite like winning an Oscar for an ostensibly uh, serious and dramatic role, is actually really a comedic actor, and most of his best work has been um, done in comedy. Uh, if this, if. I I wonder whether if it had been an American actor who played it who's that well known for comic roles, would they give it to him because, you know, oh, he's doing the Robin Williams now I'm serious thing? Or if people would have realized, actually, the artist is quite a funny movie at times.
1: I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, it just I, I generally tend to avoid most big Oscar buzzy movies mm-hmm. just because I'm I'm a contrarian that way where I go, man, no. Right? If I saw it before it gets Oscar nominations, I'm like, yeah, I'm all for this. But the second a billion Oscar nominations come out for something, I, on top of it, I just don't care for the Oscars anymore. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it just I've never seen it before. So this was my first um, you know, Dujardin film.
0: So we are going to discuss The Artist a little bit later on because the success of the OSS Sandy set movies are what gets the push for The Artist. But the big thing that you need to know about The Artist, for those of you who haven't seen it, or maybe it was before your time, um, The Artist is a black and white silent film that was one of the most popular movies of it the year it came out. Buff Wild. It's basically the story of Singing in the Rain. It's set in the time when... Movies were moving from silent to talkies and you have a big silent star played by Jean Dujardin and a, um, a young up and comer played by Berenice Beho, who is also in this movie. Um, and it's directed by the same director, Michelle Hazana Vicius I think. Um, and it's sort of about uh, the change as a silent film actor can't adapt to the new world and loses all of his money and, fame and power. Uh, so imagine a star is born meets singing in the rain and you basically have the artist.
1: Okay. All right. But yeah. black and white
0: yeah, as well. And white. Yeah. And at the end, they realized that the thing to do to revive his career would be to make a musical. It's literally the same last act as singing in the rain.
1: Oh, great. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you know nothing new there in Hollywood. We love retreading the old tropes as much as possible. Uh, see a star is born and a star is born, and a star is born. Yes
0: <laughs> and uh, and the unmade 90s star is born, which should have happened starring Whitney Houston.
1: Oh man, can you imagine that?:
0: Right. Uh, so let's talk about uh the hero. Of our story today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's an awful lot of upward inflection you're giving there.
0: Yes. So, um, sorry, just let me find the right tab here. Uh, Hubert Bonison de la Bad. So, oh shit, why can I not find this? Okay. So, who do you think of when you see... Uh, the star of our film today.
1: Um, hmm. I mean, obviously, he's a bit of a James Bond pastiche, mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's definitely something else to the character where it's just it's not quite a Clouseau ness to him because he doesn't have big pratfalls and you know goofy goofums in that sort of style but he's definitely uh, I mean the, the the perfect encapsulation of it is the German title for this film which was OSS sandy set uh, uh oh god it wasn't it was uh, not not the spy who loved me the spy who loved himself
0: yes yes I saw that too I thought that was a great title
1: yeah that that's exactly what it is it's this he's so self-enamored he's so he's bought so heavily into his own shtick that he doesn't realize he's not good at this
0: (laughs) well i'm gonna blow your mind because uh uber de la batte aka oss on um is based on a series of novels by a french author called jean bruce Uh, The first one came out in 1949, and the first James Bond movie, um, sorry, the first James Bond novel didn't come out until four years later.
1: What? So, this guy is the predecessor to James Bond?
0: He is the predecessor to James Bond. He's like his weird French alternate universe, and even down to the fact that both the writers were spies in the war.
1: What? So this is this is the French spy built by the French Ian Fleming.
0: Yes. And it gets crazier.
1: <laughs> okay, go on.
0: So Jean Bruce wrote the OSS Sundi set novels. He was part of the resistance during the war. Now you also have to take into account that. Jean Bruce's life, much like yours, sounds kind of made up.
1: <laughs> okay. Is it, like, just as Ian Fleming-y?
0: If not more so. So, he, uh, after high school, he joins the police force and... um Eventually joins what would be the predecessor to Interpol at the start of the war. He enlisted as an aviator and became a pilot at the age of 17 before becoming a member of the resistance. Um, He later on met the actual OSS on the set. So OSS, or Office of Strategic Services, was the forerunner to the CIA. Um, And there was an actual OSS agent with the number 117, just like James Bond has his double O number. William Leonard Langer was a real guy, was a real spy for OSS. But he doesn't actually have much bearing on it other than the fact that Jean Bruce met him. Um, after the war, Jean Bruce claims mm-hmm. to have done several different jobs, including uh, he worked for the town hall, he was an actor in a traveling troupe, an intelligence network agent, a security inspector, a jeweler, and the secretary to a Maharaja.
1: Okay, now. Did- In what time frame did he do all these things?
0: This is post-war. And keep in mind, he started writing and and started publishing the OSS novels in 1949. So we're talking about four years here.
1: Wow. He clearly must have been doing some of those at the exact same time.
0: Yes. So around this time, he starts writing the OSS novels. The idea of each of them is that, you know, it's based on kind of his real life spy adventures, just like Ian Fleming. And it's based around an authentic event. So, for example, in the movie today, we see that they're talking about uh, the Suez crisis. And um, at the end of the movie, he's going to Iran.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) We got things to talk about there. Yes.
0: Um, So that's the idea. It's also supposed to be sort of erotic, not in what we would consider erotica today, but in the same sort of way that James Bond is erotic and gets on many erotic misadventures. That sort of thing.
1: (laughs) You make erotic misadventures sound like, whoopsie doodle, somehow I fell into this pile of breasts.
0: See, that's exactly the sort of thing that Jean Dujardin's uh, OSS would do, but not necessarily Jean Bruce's. Okay. Uh, So these books are a French genre known as um, uh, Romain de Gare, or station novels. In English, we would probably call them airport novels, where they are basically... You know, cheap, easy, not hard on the brain. You're supposed to read them in three hours, and then you're done.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's we we sell huge amounts of those based purely upon that idea. Yeah.
0: So he Jean Bruce is writing the novels between 1949 and 1963. In that time, he published 88 OSS Sunday Set novels. What I know. In 1963, (laughs) he dies in a car crash And his wife, Josette Bruce Takes over writing So uh, Jean Bruce started it Josette Bruce takes it over So she then starts signing her name as J. Bruce So it looks like it's the same person
1: So did he just have Like a Mad Libs Off to the side that he would just be Where is he today? I don't know Uh, Rio or uh, uh, Tokyo Yeah, Tokyo and was he fighting Nazis? Sure, yeah.
0: exactly. So, some of the titles are, uh, for example, OSS Sondi Set in Lebanon, Mess in Karachi, Panic at Wake, Ugly Bo- Blow in Moscow, um, uh, Festival for OSS Sandy Set, OSS Sandy Set Sees Red, uh, that sort of thing. So you, I, I personally have to think that it's like an L. Ron Hubbard thing where he's just on speed, constantly tied to his typewriter.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: There's no other way that you could do this. Um, Josette Bruce then publishes about 100 more OSS Sandy set novels. Wow. Then... She passes it passes it on to their children, um, her son and her um sorry her stepson and her daughter, with Jean Bruce. And they continued writing the novels until the early nineties.
1: Okay, so how many novels are we counting to the early nineties then?
0: There are. Let me see here.
1: 3,487.
0: It's difficult for me to... uh, There's 265.
1: That's still an astounding amount of novels.
0: Yes. Um, I tried to find at least one of them in English. Um, It's kind of difficult, though, because until the Jean Dujardin movies, these were not super popular novels nowadays. Like Most of them are out of print.
1: Um, and sense. also uh,
0: translate into English. It's kind of like finding, you know, pulp English novels translated into French. There isn't a ton of demand for that sort of novel to be translated. Um, so you know, I could have gotten one of them, but it was going to cost me like thirty bucks, and it would have taken a week to ship.
1: Yeah, no, we're okay.
0: If you can read French, then you can buy the eBooks very easily. So they start making movies out of these pretty quickly. There uh, comes a genre called Eurospy. It's also called like Spaghetti Spy. Um, and it's French, Italian, Spanish, um, basically James Bond rip-offs once the James Bond movies start getting made and become, of course, insanely popular.:
1: Yeah, naturally.
0: So just like there's spaghetti westerns, there's a whole genre of spaghetti spy movies that have basically been forgotten. Um, and the oh the original OSS Sunday um, Set adaptations sort of fit into that. It's like, what if we had a knockoff James Bond, but we didn't have to pay for the rights? To the point where some of the um, spies are called things like James Taunt.
1: Oh my God! No, this isn't James Bond. It's it's Blame's Blonde. That's
0: exactly what it is. Um, so they are just pumping out these Uber Bonnie, Sir de la Batte movies in the same way. Now, not in all of them, he is not always called Uber Bonisseur de la Batte, because even within this context, people sometimes didn't want to pay for the rights. Oh, so. These filmmakers would sometimes adapt a Jean Bruce or Josette Bruce novel and then go, oh shit, we can't afford to call him Hubert Bonnie Sir Delabat. Uh we need to call him Alan in this one. <laughs> so there are technically uh Delabat films where the character is exactly the same, but he's not called Delabat.
1: Sure he isn't. Link.
0: So these movies eventually begin to lose their power as we move into the 70s. And uh, the idea of James Bond being a franchise so big that you can just do, you know, a dozen ripoffs a year and people will go see them anyway, starts to die down. It's just not as profitable anymore. The last De La film is in 1971.
1: Well, the last of that group of yes. De La Bat films.
0: Until you get Michel Hazanovisius, I really hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, in the mid to um, early aughts, who had just done his first film, and it had worked out pretty well. And so he has a slightly bigger budget, and he decides that he wants to do a sort of a parody of De La Bat OSS Sandy set. What if he was uh, actually as horrible as he was and everyone around him realized it now i'm calling it a parody he does not call it a parody they call it sort of you know a loving reinterpretation Mm -hmm. but let's face it this is a parody this is what if they hadn't made a james bond movie since 1971 and then they made one and it was austin powers but the character was named james bond
1: Yeah, although I would say this has a a decidedly different tone than Austin Powers. Uh, There's, with Austin Powers, it's more of a joke about the 60s as a whole. Whereas this feels like a joke about James Bond and colonialism as a whole.
0: Exactly. I don't feel like in Austin Powers you are ever laughing at austin because he is an idiot but beneath it he's good-hearted
1: you and cannot he's say so, that yeah, about he's somewhat that's competent. No. yeah
0: austin, austin is genuinely the most famous spy in the world and good at his job and well liked in his job and that sort of thing and yes he gets a lot of things about uh cultural mores of the early 2000s wrong but on the other hand, he is a genuinely sweet person who wants to save things. OSS, song said, is like if Austin Powers had brain damage and was just mean.
1: Didn't realize that he is the joke.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so these films were then incredibly successful. Um, to the point where I think I first saw these on... Netflix streaming. You can't get them on Netflix anymore. But I was literally going at the time, like, what Jean Dujardin, what Jean Dujardin movies are on Netflix? And the first of these two were here. Great. Uh, they have then made a third one without Michelle Hazenovicius. There's about a 13 year gap. So it, uh, it goes Cairo Nest of Spies, Rio Does Not Respond, and then the last one is um, Darkest Africa. Or From Africa with Love in the English title. Hmm. Which, which I have not seen yet. I have, it, uh, I have it ready to watch. And I was I was thinking about watching it before this. But after I watched Rio immediately after. I was like, I don't want to get these two models. We are supposed to just be talking about Cairo.
1: Yeah. And we'll, I, I guess this this is another little franchise we can decide closer to the end. If we want to continue watching these films for future episodes.
0: Exactly. Um, but you know, having recently rewatched uh, the Rio one just last night, I will say it's if you are looking for more adventures in this type, that is definitely what the Rio movie is.
1: Great. Yes. Excellent.
0: So nowadays, OSS Sondi set is very much like a pillar of the French spy literature. Um and same thing, you know. Women love him. Men want to be him. Uh, but what if you took the actual <laughs> person that would have been required in that time and saw him with a modern gaze? So, did you enjoy this movie?
1: I did enjoy this film. Oh,
0: thank God, because I was really, I was really getting worried because of a message you sent me.
1: No, 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 no. I. Like the message I sent you was all in good good love of, yes. holy shit, this guy's an idiot! Oh my god, I can't wait! I think I had sent that to you, um, before the chicken fight.
0: <laughs> yes, it also feels like a throwback to me to those Leslie Nielsen comedies of the '90s that. Uh, mm-hmm where, you know, it's stupid goof-em-ups, but oh my God, is it funny.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I love me. Le- Leslie Nielsen films, I really do. I think he was a comedic genius and, you know, a man to model my la- life after in terms <laughs> of hopefully all my hair will go that white and not do the shitty grey thing it's doing right now.
0: But that's the thing too, is if you... Um... If you do that, then you're going to remain the same age for the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. Leslie Nielsen was you know, in his 50s from 1960-something all the way up until his death.
0: The Steve Martin look.
1: The Steve Martin look. So yeah, do you want to dive into the film synopsis then? Let's go. Let's go. The film opens with oldie time fanfare for Go, uh, go Mall which is a French distribution company and Mandarin films in black and white.
0: It's like when Soderbergh gets the okay to use the old Warner brothers logos.
1: Mm-hmm. And we know it's olden times because look at all this Nazi shit.
0: <laughs> Indeed. It is the war. It's the war. Occupied France.
1: Yeah. It's Berlin in 1945 and a car pulls up to a plane and a colonel exits, asking his secretary kind of guy you know bring the briefcase and as the colonel's walking away his secretary is quickly dispatched and replaced by another man who brings the briefcase so in the plane the colonel gets his suspicions about hmm wait a second i think my secretary has been replaced and he pulls a gun on him. Just only to discover he's been tricked. It is somebody pretending to be his secretary. But I've got a gun. And you don't have a gun. Ho <laughs> ho. He shoots him. Takes the briefcase. Only for the plane to suddenly swerve uncontrollably. Knocking the colonel's gun to the ground. What, what's this? Why the pilot is also... This is somebody out to get the colonel and his briefcase.
0: And, and out steps are the... hero. And if, if a camera ever loved a hero, it's here.
1: He's so handsome.
0: I read in part that he was chosen for his resemblance to young Sean Connery, which I don't see in this movie. I, see I don't see Cameron. that. I see it more in the next movie where I don't know if Jean Dujardin's hairline was actually receding, um, but he has, like, longer sideburns in the Rio movie because it takes place in the late 60s. And there I sort of see it, but I've also never found Sean Connery um, particularly attractive. So for me, I'm like, no, Jean Jean Dujardin is so handsome.
1: He is like he's his pencil, thin mustache. He has this amazing way of when he's talking, he's able to move different parts of his forehead independent of one another. So like his eyebrows, different, like the center part, the edge part of his eyebrow can move independently. He can crinkle his forehead. He can do that thing where he, he smiles with his scalp, if that makes any sense. 100%.
0: I understand that he, for this movie, tried to specifically mimic old styles of film acting, because this looks like an older movie. It's not all the way to The Love Witch, where you go, I don't actually believe this was made in this century. Um, But this movie is trying its very hardest to look like an old James Bond movie.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, so, you'll see him often, like, putting his foot up and leaning on his elbow. It's directly taken from John Wayne because he wanted to look more like John Wayne. And he did work specifically on his eyebrows, too.
1: He's just he's so utterly in control of what he's doing. It's gorgeous. If, if you've ever had a just, oh, my gosh oh my gosh, kind of moment. It's, it's this moment here, where he steps out of the shadows. You can see his full face and his award-winning smile. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's playing Hubert of uh, his OSS 117. So they fight very briefly for the blueprints, and they kick the Nazis out of the plane with a quick little quip on top of it. And uh, Jack, the, the other operative who had replaced the secretary, and Hubert laugh as they fly off into the distance. These great rolling ha 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 kind of thing, which oh, will I come forgot. back many Sorry, no. times.
0: <laughs> Real quick, I forgot one of the most important things to include about the novels. Yes. OSS, Sandy said, is American.
1: Wait, What?
0: Yes, he's an OSS officer. He is actually um, from Louisiana. So I want you to imagine all of this in like a deep Cajun Creole accent.
1: Uh, uh, no, no, my brain. No, hold on. He's an
0: American spy,
1: uh-huh. originally
0: in Europe working for the OSS, just like Julia Child, by the way. She was also a spy for the OSS. Um, and he goes on many adventures around the world. He has a French name because he comes from a French Louisiana family.
1: And yeah, sure. they
0: they quickly <laughs> decided to drop that part. Um, in the movies, they spe- in these movies they specifically make him as French as possible, like a stereotype of a Frenchman at the time. It's um, it's called uh, a which sort of means like. Um, well, if you're looking for a definition, it's uber bonisseur de la bat. Like he <laughs> loves this country. He has very strict gender roles in his head. Uh, he loves the president, and he doesn't understand anything about foreigners.
1: He loves the president.
0: <laughs> he loves the president. I don't know anything about René Coty. I should have looked him up, but I have the idea that he was not a good guy
1: <laughs> from uh, the way I- he's treated in this movie. <laughs> I I looked him up briefly and he just kind of had, he had a very short tenure as president. It was, you know, only four years. And from what I could tell on his very short Wikipedia profile, I'm talking like a few paragraphs short. He did not much of note.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I had to go to French Wikipedia and then Google (laughs) translate everything into English to find even the information I could find about Jean Bruce. Because again, Uh the novels aren't in English. There isn't a ton of information about them in English.
1: Well, we're at the forefront of this fad now. We're going to be exactly. left, right, and center. <laughs> so as the, the plane flies off into the distance, we go into a very Saul Bass-inspired title sequence to turn the film from black and white to color. Now, if any of the audience, the campers at home, don't know who Saul Bass is, if you've ever seen uh, psycho great example if you've ever seen did he do north by northwest
0: i don't know if he did but he definitely did vertigo
1: yes he did do vertigo it's that very angular shapes and flowing lines in order to show you who made the film kind of thing
0: it's also but, if you've ever seen archer the archer uh starting credits are look exactly like this
1: yes yeah, So it, it really is meant to be like, here is the time and the place that the movie is existing within. Mm-hmm. And we cut to Rome and we go into a bedroom and pan up a bed with two people wearing shoes <laughs> and making out. It's thing
0: that we never get over.
1: It's disgusting. Guys, take your... Take your shoes off when you get into your house. <laughs> oh, oh! it's so wrong. It's Hubert and a beautiful woman who not so subtly reaches for a knife to stab him. And he foils her and ties her up. Turns out she's the niece of the former king of Egypt, here to murder him because he's a colonial pig
0: and this is the first time where we get an idea of just how much OSS Sandiset knows about other countries. Um, he hears her mention that her uncle is the king and he thinks that she is talking about a pharaoh.
1: Yeah, yeah. and he, And she explains to him, those guys died 4,000 years ago. We don't really have that anymore. And he goes, oh, Okay. Well, he grabs an envelope, that, which is apparently the thing that he came for, and she begs before he leaves. She begs him, make love to me one more time. And at first he says, no. And she goes, well, why not? Well, you called me a pig. Well, what if I take it back? Well, could you? All right, I take it back. All right, then.
0: <laughs> we'll have to make it quick. I only have a few hours, he says. <laughs>
1: And he gags her because she wants to be gagged. Remember, consent consent is sexy. And uh, he makes love to her. Is this
0: the scene where we see the mirror?
1: No, no, it's it's later. Okay. I made a note of the mirror. Okay. Uh, so, they cut to Paris. And Dubail enters a restaurant and uses the code, how is the veal, in order to meet his handler. Mm-hmm. Th- this will come up again and again i'm actually quite i'm I'm quite uh uh surprised you didn't use veal for our lunch menu today
0: (laughs) uh to to quote kermit "Ye gods it's a running gag
1: (laughs) he gives his handler the envelope only to find that it contains a picture of his friend jack dead
0: jack jefferson which again if you think that uber is american it makes a lot more sense for him to have a friend named jack jefferson
1: (laughs) yes and this is the first of many homoerotic flashbacks he starts to have it's of him and jack at the beach playing paddle ball for some reason and jack falls down into the sand and begins laughing and and Ubel stands there and laughs with him jovially. <laughs> and they both kind of wistfully look at each other and we fade back to Ubel just sitting there, looking off into the distance, remembering <laughs> this. This is part of the running gag of the flashback, that he actively stops what he's doing for a while.
0: Leslie Nielsen. It's
1: great. It's yep. very good. Uh, so Jack, Jack
0: was on assignment in Cairo.
1: Yes, where the so where there's a lot of different problems all starting to happen at once. One, the Americans and the Russians are fighting because it's the Cold War. Two, uh, the English want complete control of the Suez Canal. Okay. Three, a Russian cargo ship, the Kapov, went missing. Four. The Eagles of Cheops, a religious organization, want to take back control of Egypt. And this is where we get the first part of the running joke about President René Coti. Uh, his handler asks him, make the Middle East safe. And he says, no problem.
0: <laughs> How hard could sure.
1: it be? <laughs> How hard could it be? Oh, my God. Great. Uh, so this film is also filled with running gags. Just, we set up the joke and we will keep showing you this joke as many times as you can. So just keep up with the running gags as we go. Use it as a drinking game.
0: Agree. This movie runs on the rule of 17. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, Ubal flies to Cairo and he's told that he has to meet his uh, his contact by the globe in the airport. This is where we introduce a guy in a fez who's following Ubal. And he will continue to do so throughout the film.
0: He sneaks to a a public phone and he says, he's landed in the airport. Yep. Who he's reported to, we do not know yet.
1: We'll find out though. Uh, It's also shown that there are several other people watching him as he tries to make contact with the wrong person.
0: So he walks up to a man and says how's the veal stew? And the guy's like, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess they have all kinds of food here. Uh, it's okay. But you really find more lamb than veal. He goes like, but how's the veal stew? <laughs> Not understanding the concept of a path code at all.
1: No, no. And the guy walks away, clearly just like, oh, okay, buddy, um, enjoy your veal stew. Bye. This is where his actual contact, Larmina, meets him. She's gorgeous. She's Audrey Hepburn-esque. And she was Jack's secretary.
0: She is played by Berenice Bejo. Bejo or Bejo, I'm not certain. um, Who, again, was also the lead in The Artist. She is also married to Michelle Hazanovisius.
1: I absolutely called that because when I looked up his filmography and her filmography, there was a lot of overlap. Hmm...
0: I also did not realize this until I was looking her up today, but she is in a knight's tale. She plays Shannon Sossman's handmaid.
1: Really? Yes. Good for her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, they they do their quick little exchange of passcodes. How's the veal stew? Blah blah blah. And, and he goes,
0: uh, you're a woman. How are you here? You know?
1: Yeah. It, again, the the boundlessness of his ignorance. Well, they decide to leave and several people follow them out. Mm-hmm. On their way to wherever they're going, he explains to her that he doesn't smoke, but he'd like to start.
0: <laughs> He's trying to start.
1: <laughs> He's trying to start smoking. And, and then he complains to her that the car is dirty and she kind of gives him this look of, it's, it's Egypt course the car is dirty
0: it's not even that it's dirty it's that it's dusty dusty dusty. and he is annoyed at all the time and he keeps telling her things like you know it's very simple to wash a car
1: yeah maybe i should show you how to wash your car for you and throughout this driving uh a hey, love the the backlit kind of faux-driving aesthetic that they're aping from the 60s. Great, good, awesome. But just, he,
0: just like in Love Witch.
1: Yeah, he keeps uh, showing his ass because he's sexist and xenophobic.
0: <laughs> yes, he doesn't understand that uh, people in Egypt have a different religion to him, for example.
1: Yeah, she she tries to explain that yeah, there's over a million people who are islamic and he goes a million that's not possible you you clearly got that number wrong.
0: It's very much a <laughs> honey that's so sweet but you have no idea how big a million is.
1: Let me explain to you. Let me man explain to you what a million is. Yes. Oh god. They arrive at a lovely panoramic view of the Suez Canal
0: where he says, I can't believe Egyptians built this 4,000 years ago.
1: Yeah. And she goes, no, it was 86 years ago. Uh, Okay. And it's, it's clear. She's quickly catching up to, Oh, he's an idiot. He
0: he then compliments the Egyptians on. Okay. So it was made 86 years ago, but you guys run it so well. And she's like, no, we don't get to run it. He has zero knowledge of anything going on in the situation that he's been sent into.
1: He's been dropped in, and he's just like, well, you know, I might as well just fly by the seat of my pants. Why not? He's a pitchman. Um,
0: he knows what he's doing.
1: She explains to her, to him, that her father also died here. And he assumes, oh, as a worker, right? She goes, No, he drowned in an unfortunate paddle ball accident. <laughs>
0: okay so paddle ball comes up a couple times through this movie and I'm just going to describe it real quick because I had I have never seen it outside the context of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically like tetherball except instead of a pole that the ball is tied onto, it's uh, attached to like a concrete block and it's on an elastic. so you're hitting it with paddles real quick just to give people an idea if they haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much one of those, like, sports of the time thing.
0: Yeah, it looks kind of like you're playing, um, uh, what's the one that you play in, like, tiny little rooms at a sports club?
1: Oh, oh, um, squash.
0: Yeah, it looks like you're playing squash, basically, on the beach. Except it's not hitting against a wall, it's bouncing on, on an elastic.
1: Yeah, so you hit it away from you, and the elastic pulls it back. Yeah. And everybody has a great time because they constantly show people playing paddleball and having a great time.
0: But her father died in an unfortunate paddleball accident.
1: Yeah. Oh, so unfortunate. Then she explains that Jack, who was her boss, was monitoring a shipment of arms when he disappeared. Now, Ubel then goes, hmm interesting and then he says you see that car over there she goes yes he says i've been watching it for some time oh have you what's up with it he says it's very clean unlike your car which is dusty you know i could show you how to clean your car sometime
0: also conveniently forgetting the fact that this car has been trailing them since the airport
1: yeah 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 Come on. Come on, Hubert.
0: You're she almost takes- there, baby.
1: <laughs> she takes him to Skep. We'll find <laughs> out what Skep is for in a couple seconds. And introduces him to uh, Sliman, who is supposed to be his kind of uh, uh, handyman gopher at Skep.
0: Yeah, like a local fixer type um, who works like on the grounds of Skep.
1: <sighs> yeah. When I say SCEP, I'm spelling it out. It's an acronym. It's capital S-C-E-P, which stands for the Society of Cairo for the Elevation of Poultry, which I guess is kind of like the milk lobby in Canada.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's supposed to be, is that they, they are promoting chicken, which, like the milk lobby, you go, do you really need that?
1: Well, I mean, if you know anything about the milk lobby, you understand that they're actually part of some problems. So, you know, like the food pyramid. We, turns out, you don't need to eat 12 servings of grain each day. 12 oh, God, servings if of I grain. I get
0: away with it, I wish I could.
1: It's, it's half a loaf of bread a day.
0: Yeah, if you're being lazy and you're not finishing what you start. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I demand we finish a whole loaf of bread every day. (laughs) Uh, So Huber starts off being very condescending towards Sliman and gives him as as this kind of tip and a kind of like, this is my gift to you from France. It's a picture of uh, the president, René Coty,
0: because Rene Coty loves the Algerians and if you know anything about France and Algeria it's <laughs> good to give you an idea of the kind of guy Rene Coty is without knowing anything about French history
1: oh no so here uh, Ubel has another homoerotic flashback as him and Jack play in the, the waves of the beach and uh, Jack falls over and Ubal comes up laughing. <laughs> and then he dives on top of Jack and they just roll around as two good buddies in the surf as the waves crash upon their near nude bodies pressed against one another. You know, like good friends do.
0: Yeah, you know that scene in From Here to Eternity where the two very good friends enjoy the beach together? It's that.
1: <laughs> Yeah, the Blue Lagoon, where Brooke Shields and her very good friend spend platonic time in a Blue Lagoon. Yes, great. Uh, it's great. It's, it's just a, it's a great running joke. Uh, so Skep is filled with chickens in cages.
0: The smell who go- must be so bad. They don't they don't dwell on it very much, but the smell of this place must be incredible.
1: Yeah, they bring up the smell a couple times, because people will note that uh, Ubel smells like chickens. And uh, these, these chickens are going absolutely ape shit in their cages, until uh, Larmina turns off the light, at which point they go absolutely silent.
0: <laughs> Ye gods, it's a running gag.
1: Yay, another running <laughs> gag. If you're drinking right now, take another one.
0: Yeah.
1: Ubel senses danger, and he pulls out his gun, and he approaches his office, busts it open, only to find a blonde German man sitting behind his, be- uh, sitting behind his desk. This is Moller, the head of SKEB which is the Society of Cairo for the Elevation of Beef
0: so you get an idea very quickly of what all these spies are doing in Cairo and the incredibly shaky cover stories that they have
1: yeah yeah he's sinister he's very he's very German yeah he's
0: a German man in 1955
1: in Egypt and uh Ebel explains to him that Jack's been called away on business and that's why he's not here. And he's definitely not murdered. Absolutely not. He uh, then goes to uh, light a cigarette for Larmina and completely misses a clue right in front of his fucking face. So he but picks that's... up
0: the matchbook from Jack's desk to use it in to just to clarify
1: here. Yeah. Yeah, the, the matchbook on the inside has the word Kapov written on it.
0: Which hmm. is the name of the Russian ship.
1: But him being a complete idiot doesn't recognize it.
0: No.
1: So she invites him to a high society event that night at the English embassy, and he bombs a joke right in front of her uh, just about, about butter and cream. And he's trying to explain the joke and why it's funny. And she doesn't get it. She doesn't think it's funny. And, you know, it's, it's just that great. Y- 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 somebody somewhere must have told you that this would be a great joke, buddy.
0: Exactly. She says something, you know, we can butter them up. And he says, I try to avoid fattening foods. <laughs> like a classic James Bond one-liner. Except it falls flat and he then tries to explain himself. And the moment just keeps going on. This, this film's from 2006. I think it has a lot in common with 2006 American comedies, too, where you have, uh, like, of the Will Ferrell-type variety, where you have, like, the joke going on mm-hmm. uncomfortably long.
1: A little. A little long. But with he...
0: the laughing on the beach, that sort of thing, where you yeah. go, These, this looks ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. So he checks into his hotel awkwardly still <laughs> and he's still being followed around by the guy in the fez he's checked
0: into his hotel he phones yeah. it
1: he phones in and quickly hangs up and another guy tries to approach him at which point he says how's the goulash to Hubert and Hubert beats the shit out of him
0: <laughs> in Hubert's defense he was right to do this the man is clearly bundling the code word and knows what Uber is doing. Should he have perhaps publicly beaten him up? No, yeah.
1: no. Like he goes, he goes from zero to one hundred in the in the drop of a hat, mm-hmm. and uh, goes up to his room where he tries to pay the uh, the the guy who brings his luggage a tip in a picture of President Rene Coty again. <laughs> Which he declines politely. (laughs) (laughs) He's a
0: bafflement, Hubert.
1: Yeah, absolutely baffled. Like, why wouldn't you want a picture of our great president, René Mm Coty? As he gets into his room, who should be there but the princess. (gasps) She brings a goon who gets into a fight with him. This fight goes on for a while. It goes on for a while. And it seems that, you know how in the Austin Powers films, Austin would often say, judo chop. Well, this is also Hubert's only means of self-defense. He judo chops this guy several times and once in (laughs) midair, which sends him flying to the ground.
0: Again, a takeoff of those early Bond movies where it was like the idea that he knows a mysterious Eastern form of art.
1: Mm, Ah, a martial art, if you will. So the fight goes back and forth. There's a couple smashed bottles. And eventually he sends the goon flying out the window off the balcony to his death.
0: This, of course, only inflames the princess's lust.
1: Yeah, she's, she's only been getting hotter under the collar throughout the fight. And so Ubele corners her and says, you know, why are you here? And she goes, I'll, I'll never tell you. He goes, all right, I have ways of making people talk. And one of those ways is with this revolver, which he very subtly puts down at waist level and fiddles about with it in front of his crotch. It's a penis joke, everyone. The revolver is his penis.
0: Yeah. The hammer is my penis.
1: Yeah. She gives in to him because she's just so horny for him and basically confesses she knows absolutely nothing. Yeah. He then takes her to the bed and begins to ravage her as the camera pans away tastefully, only to accidentally pan onto a mirror that's showing us the, the far more like him fumbling around with her clothes and trying to take his clothes off at which point the camera quickly pans back to a vase.
0: <laughs> yes it's it. we basically le- look at them in you know sweet romantic kissing and when we get to the mirror he is trying to get his pants off and humping her at the same time
1: <laughs> it's a great joke yes it's silly. It's good. It cuts now to him later on that night leaving the hotel with uh Larmina. And she asks, do you mind if I drive? And he says, yes, I love it when beautiful dark-eyed brunettes drive. And she goes, huh, well, what if I was like a blue-eyed blonde? And he said, that's also just as good. <laughs> what if I was a short-sighted small person? At which point he dead stops and says, well, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't let you drive. You wouldn't be able to.
0: It's this this complete pivot from, darling, I would find you beautiful no matter what. Except if you were disabled. That would be fucking gross.
1: (laughs) I thought it was more so like, you're short-sighted. There's no way you could drive properly at that point.
0: Yeah. Uh but, but you know she never mentions anything with glasses. But I yeah, I think it's something like that where he immediately flips from you're beautiful no matter what, darling, to well, there's some things we can't do. Get a grip.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one making jokes here. Me. Yes. <laughs> so the event at the British Embassy. Oh, look, here's the guy in the fez again. Goodbye.
0: He's at the <laughs> embassy, he phones in.
1: <laughs> yes. Take a drink. Uh, (laughs) And he meets the dude that he beat up in the lobby earlier, who then asks, I believe, how is the, uh, not goulash, it's beef bourguignon? Yeah. At which point he beats the further shit out of him.
0: This guy is looking worse and worse every time. Black eye, scrapes, arm in a sling.
1: Ah, great. So he takes Lagmina up to the bar, at which point he offers her a drink, and she politely refuses, saying, oh, no, it's against my religion. At which point he says, what kind of stupid religion doesn't let people drink? Very loudly. (laughs) Very loudly. Oh, And he continues to denigrate her and her religion right there. Oh, great. And Love whenever it. she
0: corrects him on something, he's like, well, there's no way for me to have possibly known that, in my defense.
1: <laughs> this is brand new information to anyone. Yes. And he, he tends to treat Islam as like this little cult of barely a couple hundred people following it. And she's constantly trying to explain to him, no, we're a we're a religion that's been around for ages. There's, there's millions of... Uh, anyway, yeah, the ton. music...
0: But I haven't
1: heard of it. Uh, The music starts up, and he's intrigued. She takes him out to the dance floor and shows him how to mambo. And he's never experienced something like this. She leads, he follows. And they're they're body to body. It's sexual, it's sensual. And at one point, she kind of becomes the man in the dance as he twirls around her and... Mm -hmm.
0: But it's also the idea that he's never danced the mambo before. She says, it's okay, just watch my feet. And then after four steps, he is instantly perfect.
1: Yeah. Just as any good spy would be. As they're dancing, Lagmina points out a group of gentlemen off to the side. Uh, You know, in order to be like, we should go over there and see those guys.
0: The, I know the, the, all of these guys dealt with Jefferson a lot.
1: Yeah. The dance ends and everybody applauds the band. At which point Ubal believes that they're applauding him for dancing so well as he bows gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for the confidence of a cishet white man. Oh God only. So they go to meet uh, this group of gentlemen And Moller is there, as well as Pelletier of Bep, the Belgian-Egyptian poultry producers, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and Satine, who does sheep.
0: And is Russian.
1: And is Russian. They do the cigarette joke again. You know, uh, I'm looking to start smoking.
0: So all of these rush all of these other spies also immediately see the kapov thing and notice that he does not have a clue what's going on.
1: Absolutely not. Uh Moller offers to show Hubert the pyramids, which he accepts. This will come back later. And then they all sit down and trade words of wisdom for some reason.
0: So it starts off with all of them sort of offhandedly talking about Jack, where they're like. Um, for example, Uber says, you know, he's gone off to Syria and Lebanon to increase our brand there and they're like, ah, yes, you know, it's very important that we're all increasing our brand and making our interests known. And it slowly just devolves into them trading idioms.
1: (laughs) Of like, ah, yeah, uh, in a horse's eye, humans appear huge, which is why we were able to tame them so easily ah yes a fly's brain has so many similarities to our own does it not
0: it's it's the second french film that we have covered on the podcast and it's also the second french film to have characters trading idioms back and forth as a sort of banter
1: no no this is the third french film
0: uh what's so we did amelie and what else benedetta (gasps) benedetta of course you can yes. see why I didn't immediately connect this Amelie and Benedict. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, yes. The three columns of French cinema. Yeah. Great. Good. Good. Comedy, good, good. Romance
0: and horny nuns.
1: So Bael gets a note about veal stew, which leads him back to the guy he's beat the shit out of twice. <laughs> because he's finally said the correct passcode and he apologizes and the guy's like, oh, don't worry, I'm from British Intelligence and you know, I've got something important to tell you. And he goes, yes, yes, what is it? And he leans in real close and the guy from British in- Intelligence immediately gets stabbed by a hooded figure right next to them. This and is Ubert-
0: straight out of hot fuzz. This is the sort of hooded figure you need to imagine.
1: Uber looks around and has no idea who just stabbed this guy, <laughs> despite the fact that he was right next to them. It's a, like woods for the trees, except at the same time, the trees are just pictures of trees in a book, in a nice big picture book.
0: So Hubert immediately runs out into the street out of the embassy to, uh, to try to capture this guy. And this is where we see another... Um, aspect where they're sort of mimicking the 1960s filmmaking because all of this is clearly shot during the day with a blue filter.
1: Yeah. It's, it's nighttime guys. Wink.
0: It's nighttime because it's kind of bluish and darker, except everybody has very clear shadows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's It's... great.
0: I love it. No complaints. I, I love this day for night thing every time it shows up.
1: It's it's a nice little joke for them to be Mm -hmm. throwing around. It's all these throwbacks to just, this is how it was done before. We could shoot it actually at night, but we're choosing not to. Yeah, this doesn't
0: feel like a cheap movie in any way. All of the shortcuts that you're noticing, like the poorly rendered uh, plane and the day for night, it's there for the
1: laugh. Mm -hmm. It's for the reason of aping the style. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, So he tries to follow this hooded figure through the streets, loses him, but continues to chase him through the streets, as in just running through streets because he has no idea where this guy has gone. And he quickly becomes lost.
0: If you've seen uh, the Doctor Who special, The Curse of Fatal Death, where they're clearly just running through the same corridor sets over and over and over again, it's the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, So he gets lost and has to ask directions back to his hotel. And... Somehow he manages to find his way back there.
0: <laughs> Through instructions that are the most confusing out of everything that seem to involve going over and under anything. But he, in the next shot, <laughs> he is back at his hotel.
1: He goes up to his room and he finds Laumina asleep on the bed, where he immediately transfers her to the couch so that he can sleep in the bed instead.
0: Yeah, she says, I was so terrified I had to come back here to wait for you. He says, it's okay, go back to sleep, it's fine. And then, yeah, he he tells her on a chair so her head is hanging over the edge.
1: She's going to wake up in so much pain. Oh my my god. God.
0: Yeah, that's what happens when you watch this movie in your 30s. You're like, her back can't handle that.
1: No, no, I'd rather sleep on the floor, thank you. So, you think that the movie would then go to the next day, but oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) He's woken in the middle of the night due to the call to prayer from the mosque right next to the hotel. Now
0: They say it's the middle of the night. It's got to be like 5 a.m., right?
1: Well, here's the thing. Having lived in the Middle East, I've experienced this firsthand. Oh, okay. When I say the middle of the night, I do mean the middle of the night. It'll sometimes be at like 2 a.m., Because part of the religion is that they have to pray, uh, I believe, five times per day. And one of those times just happens to be in the middle of the night. Uh, And I mean, there's a whole story about it in the Quran and blah, blah, blah. And I'm probably not the right person to give it to you. But I will say when I moved to the Middle East, having a mosque right across the street from our house, This did wake me up the first couple of uh, weeks that I was living in that house. And then eventually you just get used to it.
0: It's exactly like living near a church and hearing bells ringing, which same thing. I've lived near um, Catholic churches where they ring bells like nonstop on Sunday. It wakes you up the first couple of weekends. And then after that, you're fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The reaction that Hubert has is exactly the sort of reaction to muezzins that dumbass white dudes are still having nowadays.
1: Yeah. So uh, it, again, his ignorance knows no bounds as he gets up out of bed to yell, "You know, shut up!" Some of us are trying to sleep. While well, that doesn't stop the muezzin, so he goes downstairs across the street into the mosque, and we don't see it, but it's fairly clear he beats the crap out of him
0: And wrestles the loudspeaker away from him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He
0: doesn't know that this is a call to prayer. He thinks it's just a dude being loud and hollering.
1: At Because, night. again,
0: he does not know Arabic. You
1: know, well, he doesn't know anything outside of France. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it, it may sound like we're just going off on this dumb joke, but this dumb joke is actually a plot point. Yes. Oh, uh, great. So he wakes up the next morning to Larmina bringing uh, breakfast in bed, and he has a head of tussled bed hair, which <laughs> he smooths back jokes immediately jokes. into his perfect hair,
0: You see the back of his head as he swipes his hand over it And then the next shot you see of his face He's clean shaven with his hair perfectly done It's great It's one of those movie jokes that you like Oh, why don't I see this in every movie now? This seems so incredibly obvious
1: It's such a funny little gag to throw in In amongst all these great gags Ah, yeah.
0: And he tells her, I had a great night of sleep except for this asshole screaming outside in the middle of the night. And she's like, what, the, the muezzin? And he's like, yeah, I went over there and I shut him up. Like, you shut up a muezzin?
1: At which point he also says, I just don't get this Islam. I don't think it's going to catch on. <laughs> and she, she has to restrain herself by walking <laughs> away at this point. Good for you, girl.
0: This whole movie, if you want to see people very quietly telling themselves in their head, bite your tongue, you cannot do better than these series of movies.
1: Oh, great. He gets dropped off at Skep by a furious Larmina, and then he proceeds to spend the whole day working at Skep. Not not spy work, legit work.
0: Yeah, he says he needs to investigate it, Skep, but then he just does the work. He doesn't seem to understand at any point in the movie that this is a front.
1: No, like he he gets super into these chickens and chicken trading and raising to the point where later on in the film he just nonchalantly talks about how well his business is doing. <laughs>
0: He's working very hard on this business we see him reading books about it It's the only thing essentially that he works hard on the entire movie
1: yeah chickens and uh, of course as he's working throughout the day he fiddles with the lights a little bit which causes the chickens to yeah, yeah. on off on off which he takes great delight in. <laughs> He's,
0: he's standing there giggling as much as we are watching it.
1: And, uh, of course, another joke involving Sliman, as he says, give your children a kiss for me. And he's like, uh, okay. Yeah, what do you have? Eight, nine, ten children? Uh, two? Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Bear is visibly baffled by the fact that a Muslim in, e- in Egypt could have only two children.
1: It's just like wow that's it's wild anyway he hears a noise from deep in skep and follows it to find the hooded figure throwing chickens at him
0: <laughs> he throws a chicken and then uber picks him up cradling the neck like he's never seen something so horrific in his life which I know is also like a weird thing that we think this is funny because they're not companion animals, but it is also very funny in this context
1: that suddenly this man cares so deeply for chickens. I mean so deeply, but then continues to throw chickens at the hooded figure.
0: (laughs) Yes. It becomes them throwing chickens at each other.
1: It's the only weapon they have available. And it's not, a good fight, considering that the chickens slightly fly, and so they miss their targets every time. Yes. It's good. It's, it's a good fight. Uh Ubele manages to rush the the hooded figure and grab and tear off a pocket from the figure's robe. And inside he finds another matchbox from a specific cafe. As the hooded figure has run off and larmina shows up she helps him put two and two no not even two one and one together <laughs> <laughs> because two and two might be a little too advanced for him to say hey maybe you need to go to the cafe that's on this matchbook to see what's going on and he goes ah you're right.
0: And there oh, I could find a clue.
1: A clue. Cliff-
0: so if only I could find a clue. The, the matchbook that says this cafe might lead me to a clue.
1: <laughs> and so he asks her, like, all right, quickly. Teach me some Arabic so I can blend in. You know, a whole language for me to blend in with. And <laughs> <laughs> She teaches him how to count to five. And he goes, this will be useful. Wait, unless they ask me to count to six. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) At which point he goes, never mind. Not enough time. I'll go now. Strike while the iron is hot. And he goes in disguise, i.e. He's still wearing a suit. And then he just put on a local robe on top of it. But you can still see, you know, the tie and the suit underneath it.
0: Yeah. He still clearly looks like a Frenchman.
1: Yeah. And he ends up infiltrating a meeting of the Eagles of Cheops.
0: Though he doesn't know this is the Eagles of Cheops, because again, they're all speaking Arabic and it's subtitled for us, but he has no clue what's going on in this meeting.
1: Absolutely. No clue. Because while they're talking about, we're going to organize, we're going to create a revolution and take back Egypt from the foreigners and he, gets, he starts to get super into it. He's, he's, he's chanting along with them. And then the imam who's leading it gets the notification of, hey, the French spy who's been wandering around Cairo recently, well, he's here at the meeting right now. We need to figure out who it is. So the imam starts talking about that. And because, of course, Hubert doesn't speak a word of Arabic, thinks that he's still saying inspirational and rallying cry things, at which point he's very quickly caught out because he tries to chant along while nobody's chanting. Mm -hmm. Well, he gets knocked out and strung up so that he can get tortured for being an asshole who beat up the muezzin. And also a spy. (laughs) And also a spy.
0: Primarily the muezzin thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: The a hooded figure walks in to begin torturing him. Pulls back the hood to reveal, "Oh, it's Larmina," and she's guessed. (laughs) She's a member of the Eagles.
0: Her father was as well, and he was going to be a leader. But when he died, uh, obviously, power passed on to somebody else.
1: Yeah. So. While she's talking about this, he's still trying to seduce her and talks uncomfortably a lot about her breasts.
0: Yeah, it's like, but you have nice boobs. How could they be Muslim as well? <sighs> Come
1: on. But yeah, it, it, it's also part of a, a distraction tactic as he frees himself, knocks her out, and hangs her up. He tries to escape, but is knocked out again.
0: He also um strips her down to her underwear when he hangs her up, which just goes to show that even a movie mocking exactly these types of values will inevitably reinforce them again themselves
1: yeah it's it's a real unfortunate thing there's there's a lot of uh yeah another scene like that happens later on, and we'll get to that,
0: oh yes, exactly.
1: But uh, yeah, he gets knocked out and he comes to as he's tied up and weighted down and being thrown into the canal where he sinks straight to the bottom into a field of other skellies who have also been killed this way. All attached to their own ball and chain. All of them. Somehow they're still like they're like intact skellies.
0: Yeah, it's like it's been to- wired together for an anatomy class.
1: Yeah, I love this scene because all the skeletons make really fun, like underwater skeleton sounds of bones rattling against each other. He manages to break three by biting through his own ropes uh, and picking the lock on his ankle weight using his belt. This is
0: hilariously long I I feel like it has to be Four minutes long or something The joke is every single second He's about to go up To breathe for air And then he's like, no, I must return I have to get this one last thing
1: Yeah, he sees a skeleton With a, a box Tied around his neck So he loosens the box, it takes him a while and he grabs it, and he he goes back up, and finally he breathes. I did check. It was close to three minutes underwater. Three minutes of struggling, biting through ropes, taking off your belt, picking through a lock, swimming up, letting out a big breath, halfway up, then stopping himself to adjust his tie, swim back down, get the box, then swim all the way back up again. Yes. Three minutes. One breath. Good job. He goes back to the hotel, somehow still soaking wet, of course. And the guy who's been following him calls his boss again to say he's back at the hotel. This we is when finally... we find
0: out the guy in the fez has been working for the Eagle of Cheops the whole time.
1: Yeah, he he's called up the man in the hooded figure. Sorry, the, the hooded figure. I won't say it's a man. Uh, hooded figure and the hooded figure tells him okay you need to stop following him now i'm good i know where he is and at this point the princess also walks in to say aha i'm also working with this hooded figure Ooh, all of these plot threads coming together Ooh.
0: this is a different hooded figure than larmina
1: Yes, it turns out there's two hooded figures, and one of them was Larmina. This one is a different one. The next day, Ubel meets up with the French ambassador, and they toast a drink to the French Empire and say a lot of things that are not true about the French Empire anymore. Yes.
0: Uh, From Algeria and Tunisia all the way to Indochina.
1: There's no way we're going to lose the Empire. Absolutely none. Sure, guys. So everybody else in this film is figuring out clues faster than Ubel does. Because, again, he pulls out the matchbox that says Kapov in it. And it's the ambassador who looks at it and says, Hey, isn't that the name of the Russian boat that went missing? And he goes, aha, true. He says, okay, so what are you going to do about it, Uber?" He goes, um, maybe you should go to the government, Uber." Yes. Yes, I will go to the government. Oh, okay. Good, I guess. And then after that, I, I don't know. Maybe you should interrogate the Russian guy? Oh, yes, I should do that, too it's this constant leading along of by the grace of god you have made it to this point in your life man you have <laughs> upwards
0: uh he he is what everybody should think of when you're suffering from an imposter syndrome just think of uber if uber yeah. can make you along so can you
1: oh my god uh all right so Uber makes his way over to the Egyptian government to try to figure stuff out and shares a hookah with, I don't know who this guy is. Is he like a a...
0: figure in the Egyptian government?
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not quite super clear. I watched this movie twice and I still didn't quite get it. But anyway, Uber sits down and then promptly begins to try to shove both of his feet into his mouth at yeah, he's
0: some of the worst stuff he says in the entire movie to this Egyptian diplomat and he is the only person in the movie who throws him out.
1: It's it's some real nasty very western colonial bullshit things of Oh, aren't you guys glad that we're here to help you? Isn't it time that Egypt grew up and became a civilized country? That kind of shit. How
0: do, how do you use this Arabic alphabet? Don't you think it's time to grow up and use letters that everyone can read?
1: Oh, no. <sighs> but, you know, that's what satire is for. Yeah. I mean, this is what? Th- this film was 2006, correct? So this would have been five years after you know the whole I mean 9/11 thing, and the huge the back- Iraq war yeah. yeah, the huge backlash against Muslims and Islamic countries and all that stuff. So
0: sort of thing that's still going on in France today. And I yeah. mean, the rest of the whole, but France is particularly having a struggle with xenophobia.
1: Yeah, it's, it's real unfortunate. So anyway, after getting kicked out, he goes to meet Satine at the local steam baths where he gets an oil massage slash torture from a great big bear, Khalid.
0: Yeah, were you okay during this? Jean Dujardin is getting really rubbed down with uh, oil and getting worked over.
1: I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> it's, it's very... Uh, dangerous slash homoerotic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those cases where, you know, they could be talking about the case at hand, but they also are still talking about how they love to get a good work over and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, uh, a thing that he's also incredibly oblivious to. Yes. So, meanwhile, Satine is being rubbed down by a Peter Lorre-looking dude. This guy looks
0: astonishingly like Peter Lorre.
1: This will also come back later. Mm -hmm. And Satine essentially drops during this massage slash torture that I know that you're OSS-117 and uh, we're going to kill you. At which point, Ubel finally gathers his wits, knocks out both of the masseuses and kills Satine.
0: Uh, It's the same judo chop thing where yeah. this massive Hafthor Bjornson guy is beating him up. But once Hubert puts his mind to it, three moves and this guy is done.
1: Yeah, it doesn't take much. So as as he leaves, he's picked up by Moller, and they plan to go to the pyramids the next day. And as Molel guides him inside of the ruins, it turns out that it's a trap for him set by Nazis!
0: The Nazis never left, guys. They've been here all along.
1: They want revenge on Ubel for killing the dude in the plane at the beginning of the film, which honestly, he forgot everything about.
0: I I need to point out real quick that there is a secret Nazi base in underneath this pyramid and when that happens i just get a jolt of joy in my heart for the kind of movie this is deciding to be
1: yeah it's going why not yeah why why, why not have secret nazis the great thing about this is that the plot this this plot does go nowhere yeah. be, because Moller has a quick homoerotic flashback of his own where he's playing paddle ball on, on the same beach with the guy who was killed at the beginning of the film by being pushed out of the plane. And everyone loves paddleball. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves paddle ball.
0: <laughs> it is the puppets of the 1950s. Everybody loves puppets.
1: Yeah. Rue walks in. <laughs> bonjour, uh, bonjour,
0: bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs>
1: Bell finally remembers who the Nazis are talking about. And he goes, oh, yeah, that guy, the guy I killed. Oh, yeah. He was yeah, a great dude. He was a great dude. <laughs> Terrific sense of humor. And they all have a nice laugh over this. At which point the Peter Laurie looking dude shows back up dressed as a Nazi. And uh, Molel drops this line funny how Nazis are always the bad guys. It's 1955. Don't we deserve a second chance? No! <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it is, um, it's been 16 years since this movie came out, and what started as parody has turned into some people's honest arguments.
1: <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. <sighs>
0: This oh, is a bad place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or at least it's it's a hair shy of it. Yeah. Moller then goes to reveal behind a big Nazi flag that he's captured Larmina, but he rips the flag by accident because he's a stupid fucking Nazi. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> it's the classic. Uh this didn't work out the way it always works out in movies, where you're able to yeah. easily rip the curtain down
1: yeah he then tries to embarrass Ubel by insinuating that he might ge- be gay due to what was said in the baths
0: the The throughline going through this and the next movie suggests very strongly that Uber is gay or bi or queer in some way. Um, but it's not so much that he is repressing it. Or ignoring it in himself is as he is too stupid to realize that he is in fact gay.
1: Yes, that was my thinking exactly. He's not like, yeah, he's not willfully, oh, oh god, I'd never be gay. He does say some th-
0: homophobic stuff where he's when he's defending himself. But yes, yes, he he has no concept that this is what these feelings mean in him.
1: No, he just thinks he's real good pals with his best friend Jack. Exactly. Right, and occasionally other men as well. Real good pals. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Nazis are now going to show him their new super uh, high tech device, which is basically VHS. They're about to show him a VHS.
0: Yeah, if you uh, look at the Arnim Zola scene in Winter Soldier, it's it's that setup.
1: It's the exact same setup, but Ibel quickly traps them using a secret trap door he discovered by reading the hieroglyphics.
0: Because when he found out he was coming to Egypt, he learned the language, but he learned hieroglyphics.
1: (laughs) A thing at which Larmina and the audience at large are incredibly surprised by. It's not that he's stupid. It's that he's so willfully ignorant in what he knows. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could learn. Like, he learned all of hieroglyphics. He learned
0: all of hieroglyphics. He learned the mamo instantly. But if he doesn't think it's important, he's not going to put any effort into it.
1: No. So... Larmina has a quick freak out where she believes, oh, shit, the doors are all shut. We're going to starve in here. And hundreds of years from now, they're going to find our skeletons withered up underneath this pyramid. We're going to die in here. And he quickly opens up another door because he's figured out how to open doors inside a pyramid. And she calms down, adjusts her hair and walks out. This is
0: her Phantom of the Paradise. No, but I'm innocent moment.
1: Yeah. It's so good. It was so much fun to watch her just lose her shit for a second.
0: Especially since Berenice Beho doesn't have um as many options in this movie to go big. It's fun to see her get the chance to.
1: Yeah. Uh, outside the pyramid, Ubel presents her with what he recovered off of the skelly when he was underwater. And it turns out that it's also a paddle ball <laughs> set up that her father had been strangled with. So he gives her the box, not realizing that the ball part is still inside the bag that he's currently carrying. And he turns away from her, causing the ball to fly backwards and hit her in the face, making her cry. At which point he says, there, there, we'll get the scum who did this to your father.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I love it so much.
1: It's, it's a very good joke. I enjoyed that joke very much. At the bar that Ubel goes to, the hooded figure finally kills the dude who's been following Ubel the whole time.
0: I told you to stop telling us where he was.
1: We know where he is. Stop following him. Stab, stab, stab. It's very much the, um... It's Citizen Kane! It's Citizen Kane! Yes! <laughs>
0: Watch Kids in the Hall if you haven't,
1: Watch kids. Kids in the Hull. yeah. Uh, Larmina comes to the realization that the imam of the eagles killed her father and she can't trust him. Ubel thinks he's figured everything out. And he wants Larmina to try to squeeze information out of the imam at the bar while he goes in disguise as a musician. And then he proceeds to whisper the plan at her. Problem is... He doesn't whisper loud enough, and she has to ask him to repeat himself. Great whisper (laughs) joke.
0: ( 실제로) (laughs) Characters always do when they're whispering a plan that they don't want the audience to know. But the problem is, that doesn't mean the other characters can hear them.
1: Exactly. So she asks him to repeat that. Mm -hmm. And we fade out and come back. So... She gets the imam in there. He's disguised in a fez and a, and a pencil-thin mustache as one of the musicians. And he stands up to try and get closer Uber, to not that. not the
0: imam. I, should, I yeah. should clarify.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, Ubel stands up to try and get closer to Laomina to listen in on their conversation. But now the people at the bar think, oh, he's going to play a song for us. Great. And he proceeds to play a fucking banger.
0: <laughs> so did you look into this song? Because I was trying to figure out what it was.
1: No, no, I didn't get a chance to. So but I,
0: if- I looked up this song because I was like, I have no idea. I'm not sure what language he's speaking in, that sort of thing. I tried... Um, uh, asking my phone what it was. Uh, but eventually I looked on the soundtrack and there's a song sung by De- Jean Dujardin on it. Um, this song is called Bambino. It was a hit in 1956 in France um, by an Algerian French singer. So this is sort of doing a back to the future thing. It's your cousin Marvin Gay, where Jean Dujardin as Hubert is performing this the year before it comes out.
1: Great. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's it's, it's a it's a solid joke. I mean, it didn't quite land with us because we're Canadian, but I understand the reference. Mm-hmm.
0: I think I so, said Marvin Gaye. I meant Marvin Barry.
1: Marvin Barry. Yeah. So. Uh, the problem with him playing a banger is that Lagmina and the imam have to leave for another location because it's too loud in there now.
0: The hotel bar loves him too much.
1: And he loves being the center of attention. Hmm. Again, another
0: thing, there's no suggestion that he knows how to play this instrument at the start of this scene.
1: But he does. Yes. (sighs) She comes back an hour later after having figured out where the arms trade is taking place. And he's just finished a big show to (laughs) the huge applause of everyone at the bar.
0: Yeah, he's just continued playing this whole time.
1: Uh, He goes off to intercept the arms trade, but not before mansplaining to her uh, (laughs) that... uh, here, here's the instructions of what I want you to do. Do you want me to write it down for you? No, I think I've got it. Well, it's an awful lot for you to remember. I mean, I can easily just quickly write it down. I can explain it again if you need. No, no, I've got it. Are you sure?
0: What he's trying to tell her is that all three hooded figures that they saw are the same guy. That's it. That's the whole thing, which she has explained to him and he is not certain she understands.
1: No, of course not. But before he can get to the arms trade, he's distracted by an emergency at Skep. <gasps> oh no! Sliman takes him there on his little moped, and he gets out and he tells him, "Sliman, I I love you for supporting me and all this. You truly are a pillar of the community. Here's some money. Go buy your children some shoes." And Simon says to him, well, that's going to be a little bit hard. They're both in the university in New York right now. Hubert so. has no idea what to do with this. <laughs> and Hubert is knocked out again. Mm-hmm. Look at all the brain damage.
0: Explains a lot.
1: It does explain a lot. Uh, he wakes up to find the Belgian holding him at gunpoint. And you wonder, what? But but why? And he explains, I'm angry because Skep is taking all of my business,
0: which he mentions offhand earlier on after he does the books. You know, we're doing so much better than our competitors here. So, not only is Uber an idiot for taking this front seriously, the Belgian is the exact same type of idiot.
1: Well, it kind of makes you wonder: Is Uber? a a spy as well? Or, sorry, not Ubel, is the Belgian a spy as well? Or is he just a legitimate competitor who accidentally ended up in a group of spies because all their fronts look like his actual business?
0: You know, I never considered that, but that makes a lot of sense, especially since he's silent during the idiom trading earlier on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's just like, why are they speaking this way? What's what's going on? And so now he's here going, I'm going to You're going to sign over Skep to me, and then you're going to leave, right? And I won't have to shoot you. And Hubert says, I'll never do that. Skep is my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, uh, the Belgian has no choice but to try and kill him. And just as he's about to shoot, the guns are jammed. Oh, shit. So he starts taking apart his guns to try and clean them out so that he can kill Ubel. And (laughs) Ubel continues to explain to him, you see, this is why you're losing profits, man. If you can't take care of guns, what are the chances that you're taking care of, you know, the ins and outs of your daily uh, running of the business? And the Belgian's trying to get him to shut up while he's cleaning out these guns and promptly shoots himself in the face. He looks right down the barrel. Right down the barrel. We find
0: out also that Sliman has been working with the Belgian to betray Hubert. And as soon as the Belgian is dead, Hubert says to Sliman, I forgive you. There's nothing you need to do. You've learned your lesson.
1: Great. And then Sliman, on Hubert's way out, he says, That man is either very stupid or very smart which is promptly answered by the lights going on and off in the chicken area several times as we hear the chickens lose their shit again. Great. Good job. Good jokes. Hubert corners the imam at the docks. And just as he's about to get some information out of him, the hooded figure appears and corners him. Another one? Another one. He pulls back his hood to reveal that it's Jack! Gasp! Jack and never died! Jack never died. He's horribly scarred, but he's, he never died. And then Jack proceeds to have a not homoerotic series of flashbacks, <laughs> where he remembers all those same flashbacks a little differently. Like them playing paddleball and him falling to the ground accidentally. And then Ubel. Just laughing in his fucking face
0: Standing over <laughs> him going Now the score is 97 to 0
1: And then him fumbling a ball As he falls onto the beach And Jack coming over And pointing and laughing at him
0: But Homer yeah. you love Rashomon That's not the way I remember it
1: <laughs> Jack hates Ubel. And he wants a ton of money mm-hmm. So, as the Imam and Jack have Ibel cornered, the imam is suddenly knocked out by Larmina throwing a paddleball box at his head. <laughs> Jack is also held up by the princess who shoots him and he dies. That's the end of his story. the end. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's wrapped up. great. Hubert has one last homoerotic and dramatic flashback as Jack is in the waves and he's screaming, Jack, Jack. And the waves come crashing and Jack disappears into the waves.
0: Never looking back.
1: Never looking back. And as he spent, I don't know, a minute remembering this, the girls have gotten up to something by themselves where they're now sexy cat fighting,
0: and they all of their clothing has suddenly turned to tissue paper as they rip it off each other to reveal that to this big fight they have worn their sexiest lingerie.
1: Yeah, this is the the other scene we were talking about where we're like, yeah, we we get that they're making fun of the trope, but by making fun of the trope, you've just reinforced the trope.
0: Exactly, where the joke is supposed to be. That Hubert is watching them, and he can't bear to intercede because he's transfixed. But at the same time, the camera is uh, putting the same gaze on him that Hubert himself is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, and then it stops being funny very quickly as you go. Oh, okay, yeah, we get it. He's lusting after these two women who are sexy cat fighting,
0: and these are two very, very beautiful women. I do, I do have to point out as the, as the. <laughs> Uh, I guess the only person on this podcast who is positioned to enjoy this scene. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I Like, I get the joke.
1: Yeah. So, uh, finally, he comes to his senses and he shoots the gun out of the princess's hand. And just as he's trying to get her attention, he accidentally lets off another shot and kills her. Yes.
0: Uh, trigger maintenance is not... Uh, very good in this world.
1: So Ubel and Larmina dive into the water and get the boat back to the docks. And now they're both in underpants, standing on the docks, sexually looking into each other's eyes. And he tells her, "Egypt will be at peace for centuries to come." Sure.
0: Yeah, there's no way that anything that we are about to do is going to spark an international crisis.
1: Great. He Can thanks
0: her... blow up the entire ship full of explosives in the Cairo harbor.
1: Yeah, there's fireworks and explosions going off, and as that's happening, he leans into her and he says, thank you for teaching me something. The Mambo! I love it! Yeah.
0: And she kisses him for really no other reason than the movie needs her to kiss him at this point.
1: Yeah, sure. And then we cut to him reading a paper back in Paris. It reads that Egypt has declared a state of emergency, but he's not reading that. We're reading that. He's actually just reading something about a footballer who's made a a mess of himself publicly. Uh, His handler shows up again asks him about his homosexual proclivities, at which point he insists, no 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 no, I'm 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 straight. Don't worry, uh watch. And he kisses the waitress. He right. does the
0: old Adrian Brody.
1: Yeah. Love this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, his mission was so successful and they believe so much in him and his knowledge of you know, Islamic states and that region that they're sending him to Iran because everyone there loves Westerners and he's such an expert in the Arab world.
0: Oh my God.
1: (sighs) And the movie ends with a lovely montage of all the players looking into the camera and smiling and winking.
0: Yeah. Which more movies should do, more movies should end without takes. I believe this very strongly. Jackie Chan should be everybody's emblem in this case.
1: Yeah, it's it's always fun to have like a and these were the players and oh here's some outtakes exactly
0: everybody loves it I don't know why we don't keep doing it
1: yeah maybe we don't need to do it in things like yeah you know, Schindler's List
0: yeah that but... was the film that <laughs> left to mind yes you've got to think that was not a fun film set to be working on
1: not only like goofem ups but you know more of the fun films right yeah. I I would I would absolutely love it if Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness ended with like Doctor Strange looking at the camera, wink, smile. Right here's El- Elizabeth Olsen, wink, wave. Here's all those other people, wink Pixar, and wave.
0: For a very short time, was doing this, which is especially funny because they had to create all of these outtakes, whole cloth, of course. And uh, I really wish they'd continue doing them.
1: Mm-hmm. Tons of fun. Yeah. So, Sarah, we've reached the end of the synopsis of the film. And uh, beyond escalating tensions in the world, is this camp?
0: You know, I think I have to land on the fact that this is not camp. If we watch the original OSS Sunday set movies, they may be camp. But this falls too strongly in the camp of farce, I think.
1: Yeah it's it's farce and parody there's a couple things that are camp i think homoerotic flashbacks are camp mm-hmm. but overall this is this is a fairly straightforward comedy it's just it is what it sets out to be it's not trying to be anything other than a send up to the spy genre the james bonds out there
0: yes absolutely while at the same time navigating a colonial history that is difficult um, when you try to consider the humanity of those involved. And this film deals with it uh, by simply making the colonist an idiot.
1: Which is fair. He is. Yes. (laughs) He absolutely is.
0: I was worried about coming back to these movies, but I, I think that they do hold up.
1: Oh, I think that this does hold up. I think, if anything, this holds up better now.
0: Yes, where we're in a world that has only emphasized his behaviors.
1: Yeah, where we're more aware of the damage that colonialism has done to the world. And just how unbelievably ignorant that the, the government powers that be, that exist as they are, are to everything.
0: I was reading about the artist in preparation for this and uh, you know, it did great in con and then it was purchased by the Weinstein company for Mm -hmm. internet distribution. (laughs) Great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Hindsight 2022.
0: Exactly. Um, But yeah, I, I think this movie is treading a, it's a difficult line given the comedy of it all and i think it really works for it
1: mm-hmm. a couple unfortunate steps here and there but understanding that your hero is def- sorry your protagonist is definitely not a hero
0: No, um, these movies also apparently beef up the role of the women in the books. He has um, mainly Felix Leiter type contemporaries working with him, um, whereas these movies are like, no, let's scrap all of these extra French guys and actually make the women the heroes of this story.
1: Because they are.
0: Yes. Um, But at the same time, you know, this is a series of movies about a horrifically offensive person. Um, I was watching Lost in Rio, where he teams up with Mossad agents and says, yes, um, some incredibly awful things about Jews. So also take that into account as he loudly insists that he is not anti-Semitic because he does not believe this and this and this and this. (sighs)
1: So I'm guessing that we probably won't be visiting any of these films in the future. Then
0: I haven't watched the, um, I mean, it's funny because this movie also takes place in Egypt, but um, I have the feeling that the third one is more central. Uh, This film takes place in Africa, but in Northern 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 Africa, whereas the other one takes place in more central Africa. Um, the second one is definitely very uncomfortable leaning into his anti-Semitism. So I guess I offer it more as a trigger warning than anything else.
1: Okay, so we we will see in the future if we want to revisit those, but would you just generally recommend the second film then? If people I would wanted recommend to watch the second
0: it? film. I think it has some very, very funny parts in it. He's joining up with the Massage to track down a... Um, a nazi so it has a lot of the same um, jokes as we had here where you have your comedy nazis which i generally tend to love because if you need a stupid buffoonish villain can you do better than nazis um and also uh it is a gorgeous movie they shot it in rio it looks incredible
1: great Cool. I, I will keep an eye out for that. Whether or not we do it on this podcast, who knows what the future holds.
0: No one. That's who. Ooh. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of OSS Sandy Set. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is.
1: Yes. And next week, <laughs> oh boy, next week, we will be discussing... Season 13, episode 16 of the very long-running television show, Supernatural. The episode is titled, Scooby Natural. Yes, yes, campers, we are at the crossover point of Supernatural and Scooby-Doo. The animated episode, the one everybody was asking about, and we finally got (laughs)
0: <laughs> it, I remember when this was initially announced I'm not really a supernatural person um, But as a Doctor Who fan There is a lot of overlap mm-hmm. um, So I remember when this was announced And everybody going How the hell is this supposed to work? I have seen this episode once uh, During a convention at a hotel room And being pleasantly surprised by it
1: Oh, this was a tremendous gift. I watched all of Supernatural during the initial stage of the Pandingle. Good because lord! I oh oh, That's trust a lot me. lot of TV. I this wasn't the first show I watched. This was the third show I watched oh, because right before that I had just finished Murder She Wrote and Castle.
0: Uh vast tracts of lands those shows are.
1: Yeah. Uh the trick with Castle is watch up to season five and then stop. And there then you go. Yeah. Uh with Murder She Wrote. I mean the great thing about Murder She Wrote is you can just jump in anywhere, watch an episode and go, Oh look, it's Joan Collins.
0: Yeah, but your job can't be done remotely. So that was like all you were doing in early quarantine, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was it was just the okay, God, all right, let's watch a bunch of TV. I guess I've never seen all of murder she wrote. And uh, she did. She wrote all those murders. <laughs>
0: uh, i I am interested to tip to dip our toe into the truly insane world of supernatural next week.
1: Oh, my God. The good news is this episode is so far out of supernatural continuity in terms of like, who do you need to know? and What are the plot lines? No, 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 no. You don't have to worry about that. You can watch this episode and be perfectly fine.
0: Exactly. They're demon hunters. They're brothers. That's about the background information that you need. And if you don't know what Scooby-Doo is, and yet you've managed to navigate your way to finding a podcast, you have lived a very interesting life.
1: Yeah, Scooby-Doo is a giant talking dog. There's a bunch of teens. They solve mysteries. Where do they get money from? Who knows?
0: Yeah. And wouldn't it be funny if you said that instead of Scooby Snacks, it was actually weed, bro?
1: Whoa. Whoa. Well, yeah. you can roll a great big joint and continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Hrys Indigo, all one word, R H Y S, spelled the Welsh way.
0: And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye. Ta-ra.
1: No, not the way you do
0: it.